everyone, Joe Gagne here, welcoming you to edition number 38 of Joe vs. World. If you've been online, you've probably run into my guest somewhere. He is the publisher, I guess, of Odessa Steps Magazine. It's Mark Cole. Mark, how you doing? Good, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. Not a problem. Uh, why don't you tell the people a bit about yourself and how you got into wrestling? And you warned me this would be a, a different story than most people. The only reason I said that is because it seems like most people begin with, I was four, I was five, something along those lines. I actually did not start watching regularly until I was a teenager. Hmm. Thanks to one of my friends who uh, was a longtime fan, because I was one of those people who scoffed at fake sports and blah, 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 and that kind of thing. But uh, sometime when I was a teenager, like 13, 14, I don't know why, but I started watching it with him. And much like everybody, I started with the WWF, but I quickly decided that I like the NWA better because, uh, fortunately, where I grew up in Maryland, we got Baltimore TV and Philly TV. So we could watch the NWA shows and the WWF shows on both channels. And since we had a rotor on our house, we could even pick up from York, Pennsylvania, the world-class show. Oh, wow. So I noticed... uh, when watching the Von Erich DVD, they were talking about being all over the country, and I'm sure that one of those guys in Texas was like, why are we on in central Pennsylvania? <laughs> but, uh, so I quit, you know, I quickly became a fan. I uh, I almost instantly was a heel fan, which I'm sure does not surprise anybody listening to this, if they know me. Uh, from there, I went to college. Uh Oddly enough, stopped watching wrestling around the same time I started taking judo. Because hmm. I sort of learned, I was learning how things worked. Because we tried watching uh, TBS in the dorm, and I'd go, that's not a side rushing blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that's an Ogoshi hip toss. And so I fell out for a year or two. And then uh, I was a religious buyer of the national which uh, people may remember was an attempt to do a national sports daily newspaper back in the early 90s, started by Frank DeFord from Sports Illustrated. And who had a column in that but Dave Meltzer? That's right. And I started reading that, and I was like, cool, this, this is neat, and learning back, backstage stuff because we, we were always PWI readers, my friends mm-hmm. and I back in high school. And so Dave... Uh, in the back of the in the back of the national, Dave advertised for the Observer, and I started getting it sometime in 1990. Mm-hmm. So I'm a long time subscriber. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe uninterrupted. And well, uh, what were, I just I'm just curious, what were the uh, columns in the national like back then? Were they just kind of summaries of stuff you read in the Observer? It was uh, it was either news or feature pieces. Like if it was a if it was a week after a pay-per-view, he ran down the results. Um, if there wasn't news, it was, a, you know, like sort of a, like a 10-inch bio of somebody. I know I still have the uh, one on the Midnight Express because I was a mark for Jim Cornette from the first time I saw him in world class. So I had that. Uh, and, you know, you know it was like, I remember it was a big deal during that time because... Uh, Dave was writing his column and started getting, Vince started getting angry at him during the whole uh, Sergeant Slaughter Iraqi turncoat 
uh, exploiting the war angle, that kind of stuff. I knew Dave was still ready then, and I remember it was a, ironically, the next to the last issue of the National ended up having a wrestler on the cover, because it was, uh, do you remember Mark Gaston's ill-fitted boxing career? I do it, in fact. And didn't he beat an AWA wrestler they thought took a dive? Yes, and that was yes. Derek, Derek Dukes. Yes, who, that's right. Who was on the cover of the next to the last issue of the National because somebody, I believe the photo on the cover may have been taken by Wade. Hmm. I don't remember. I have it somewhere in my archives. But, uh, yeah, so there was a wrestler on the cover of the second to last issue of the National. And from there, so, and then, and then it was just Dave, and then it was just Dave's newsletter. And then, uh, back when Dave still advertised tape trading in the Observer, I started getting Japanese tapes. And so, maybe my second or third year in college, we were watching Liger and Muda and Masahiro Chono and Stan Hansen. And so, wow. that really revived my uh, love of wrestling. Conveniently enough, right around that same time, I was introduced to a new thing called the Internet, mm-hmm. which people may be surprised to, to know did exist in the early 90s, although there was no web. The web did not exist yet, uh, as we know it. Um, I was uh, at the college newspaper. Somebody there introduced me to uh, Rec Art Sports, and from there... We started reading it all the time and posting and went on from there. Uh, I actually got to cover WrestleMania 8 for the newspaper because it took place in Indianapolis. Wow. I was going to college in Indiana at the time. Uh, my my editor and one of the sports reporters actually had gotten tickets the week. Tickets went on sale, so they sat very, very down close near to the ring. Meanwhile, I had a press ticket and sat eight rows from the top of the Hoosier Dome. <laughs> and let me tell you, there is nothing like watching wrestling. Do you think watching football is bad in the Dome? It's like, might well, we watch it on the very crappy 1992 uh, big screen in the middle of the Hoosier Dome. Oh. But we did get to see, you know, a fairly a couple famous matches during that time. So. That's true. That's a pretty darn good WrestleMania. Yeah. I remember... It was funny that at one point I, a couple times I just walked around to try and get quotes and do some flavor. And I went during, I think there was like a horrible six-man or eight-man like involving the natural disasters or the road warriors or somebody like that. And I think it was, I'm trying to think, it was, who was it? It would have been, I know that it was Big Boss Man Virgil and the were the nasty boys on one team against or they were on the other whatever it was yes it was a bunch of bad wrestlers it was it was the traditional concession stand match yeah so I walked around and it was packed I mean everybody all fifty some odd thousand people decided to get food at the same time and then I also decided to walk around during Hogan's match just to see if it would it would be as dead as as I thought and I did I was walking around. I walked around the entire upper level of the Hoosier Dome, saw maybe 15 people walking around. Everyone else was glued in their sheets or had left already. And so, oddly enough, I actually missed seeing in person the return of the Warrior. Oops. Well, <laughs> well, you may say oops. Well, yeah. I say good. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, you know, we got to see, you know, Flair, Flair and Savage and 
Piper and Bart? Yep. Okay. My my memory as a not only am I growing old, but as a longtime NWA WCW fan, WWF events that I've been to barely stick in my memory. Yeah. Whereas you know I can remember the NWA card I saw in Baltimore, in, you know, 1987, and the Great American Bash I saw in 1989. But oh wow! Personal preference. Yep. So, uh, see from there, and you know, I hooked, I you know, I started hooking up with people on the net, and uh, fast, fast forward a couple years, uh, I was back in Maryland. I started, I started writing. WrestleManiacs, I, mm-hmm. possibly when they actually started, when Rick and Mike actually, because they at one point had separate web pages, and they joined together to form WrestleManiacs. Yep. That may, that may be when I started writing for them, I don't remember. And uh, as CRZ said last week, I was one of the people who came over to WrestleLine and then left when WrestleLine left, and was, was ready for it for a while, and then general apathy set in, like with most people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really haven't written regularly on the net since then about wrestling, other than post here, you know, board here, board there. We have written some wrestling articles in in our magazine, but other than and then, I also had a brief a brief tenure of actually working for a promotion. Really? Yes, I, uh, not in the ring, thank God. (laughs) Uh, I, uh, I did, I was, uh, writing a weekly pop culture column for a local paper in Maryland. Mm -hmm. And I pitched my editor on doing a wrestling story, because I think this may have been during the time it was hot. Um, like late 90s. Sure. So I did a story on a couple of the local promotions, like I did a story on the, uh, I did a story on ECW since they were only an hour away. And I did a story on Maryland Championship Wrestling in Baltimore. And I was there, and I really liked the show. And I was talking to the guys, and uh, I went down to their school to, to, I think, give them a copy of the article. And when I went to their first show, I realized they had done, that their program consisted of, like, a one-page handout with a card on it or something, mm-hmm. something very rudimentary. And I sort of say, because... I was, I was either publishing magazines at that point or had published my book and was working on starting a magazine. And so I whipped something up on the computer and I took it down and I said, you know, I like you guys. I just wanted to pitch this. So this is like the sort of magazine you guys could hand out at the shows. You know, it had like a fake top ten list and like a fake insider column about all the feuds that were going on and that kind of stuff. And they thought it was cool. And, you know, I got a deal where... I got to go to the shows for free, and, you know, like, for every, you know, the programs, I think, were a dollar or two dollars, and I got, like, a quarter or something. You know, but I really wasn't doing it for money. I was just doing it because I, I liked it. Sure. And so I got to, uh, you know, go to the shows, and I would be the uh, the gopher. I got to carry ring jackets and sit next to famed Mid-Atlantic timekeeper Jeff Andor, uh, I used to ride with him to the show sometimes when they were far away because it's always good to have, like, another guy there who's part of the show but not really part of the show to hang out with. 
Yeah. So I got to see some really good matches. I remember seeing in a little high school town in the middle of, like on the eastern shore of Maryland, they had a four-way match for the Cruiserweight title with Christian York, Joey Matthews, and the Hardys. The Hardys during their Shotgun Saturday Night Leopard Skin phase. (laughs) And and it was funny because they wore Omega shirts, you know, which I think some people knew what Omega was at the time, but it it wasn't that well-known. I remember that uh, they couldn't find their shirts after their match. Somehow, like, they wanted to... Like, I somehow got chastised because they couldn't find their shirts, even though I brought them back and set them in front of the locker. <laughs> well, that was only the second best time I ever got yelled at. The best time I got yelled at, we were doing a show, we were doing a beach show at a bar. This was either on the eastern shore of Maryland or right across the border in Virginia. But it was very, very hot that day because it was in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. The ring was actually set up outside on the beach. So it was really, really hot. Mm. And, like, so hot that guys did not want to bump. Nobody wanted to take, nobody wanted to go outside because they did not want to bump in the sand because of how sweaty they were. <laughs> so, and uh, Jeff wasn't there that day, so that was my first, possibly last time, of being the timekeeper and ringing the bell. And I was very proud that they, you know, actually trusted me to do this. So we're going along the show, no incidents, whatever. You know, I'm keeping. You know, I have my little stopwatch. You know, I'm giving the cues to the ring announcer. And the main event was King Kong Bundy versus, uh, I think, Dino Divine. And anyway, it was a very quick squash match. It was like three ten, you know, three ten, three fifteen, something. So I tell, and you know, I was always taught to be to be straight with the times. So I said, you know, three, you know, three ten. So Pete announces it, and then we're in the, we're in the, like a little trailer in the back, and uh, Lenny says, "You the timekeeper, brother." I was like, "Yeah," because you know, you never announce a match under five minutes because people think they get jobbed out of a match. He goes, it's not your fault. They should have told you better. I thought that was cool. I thought it was kind of funny. Wow. I'm driving home thinking, this is the man who won a match in nine seconds. Isn't his gimmick to win short matches? That's true. Uh, they, uh, that match actually went about 30 seconds, but they announced it as nine, so they actually did the inverse of what you're supposed to do. They should have said it was... Uh... Like a five-minute match, then, according to his logic. So yeah, but it was just funny that the one person who yelled at me for uh, for shooting with the time was a guy who famously won, you know, yeah, incredibly in record time. Well, that's about that's the short history. Oh, all right. Relatively speaking. Well, we are here today to discuss DVDs, mainly uh, WWE offerings and. Let me tell you why the WWE isn't going out of business anytime soon. I have a coworker who used to be a wrestling fan years and years ago in the 80s. He doesn't watch the product now, doesn't follow it, doesn't go to shows, watch TV, anything. When I told him there was a Roddy Piper DVD coming out, he was at Circuit City practically the release day. And that's revenue coming in from someone who doesn't follow the product at all, and that's kind of genius in its own way. Well, I can certainly say I would 
qualify for that statement too. I barely watch the current product. I will, I will, I still have uh, Raw and SmackDown on the DVR every week. Although nine times out of ten, I don't bother watching it. I just wait. I listen to what Brian and Vince have to say about it, and I say, "Is this show worth watching? Is this show even worth speeding through?" <laughs> Normally not. Usually not. If like Ben, if there's a good match with Benoit or Fifth Finley, okay, I'll watch that. If there's something really funny on Raw, I may watch that. But other than that, but. I, I was in circuit, or I was in Best Buy because I had a, a coupon to use, and I was pulling around. And I also knew that I was going to be on the show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Hey, they have the AWA disc. Hey, they have the world class disc. Why don't I pick these up?" So I get those, and uh, the first volume of Shimmer, which I was sort of surprised to see there. Although I think I remember Dave Prazik saying they had sign some distribution deal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I watched the, so I watched both the AWA disc and the World Class disc, which served me because I was a fan. I'm, I'm not a big-time wrestling historian, but mm-hmm. as anyone, you know, who's religiously read The Observer for 15 years, you can't help but pick up on these things. And I do have a, you know, useless degree in history, so I guess historian would be wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to be called on these matters. Hmm. Do you remember the old uh, Coliseum videos? You may have been uh, perhaps too old when you got into wrestling to to remember these. I remember is... them as a, as a non w well as a as a preferential NWA fan. Uh, I remember getting the few NWA. I know my friends had. We would rent the Coliseum videos, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I was never one to buy them. I didn't buy back in the day. Do you remember the two PWI videos? No, I don't think so. What were they? I may have seen an ad for them, but I don't remember them often. Yeah, they were there were two there were two tapes that PWI put out themselves. One was something called Lords of the Ring, which is just basically sort of a feature on a bunch of different people. I know that the Road Warriors were in it. I think the Fabs were in it. I want to say Lawler was in it. Okay, so I think I do remember of, that. Yeah, it was like non WWF. Yes. The other one was the the first Great American Bash. Even though it was cut down to an hour, it had you know, Flair versus Nikita and Dusty versus Tully, and I think it may have been the first time the Road Warriors wrestled the Russians. Hmm. So, and then uh, you know Ole and Arn were on it, and Billy Graham. Either the Barbarian or, a, or the, either fought Abdul or the Barbarian. It may have been at the beginning of Billy Graham's return to the tie-dye. Because he was still doing the karate gimmick right around then. Oof. But, uh, yeah, so I had those, and then Crockett started putting out tapes themselves soon after. Because this is still, this is before they were bought by Turner. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would put Starcade out every year. And I know I have Starcade 85, which is when Flair fought Dusty. And then the uh, the Crockett Cup from 86, which, as a, as a young, impressionable teenage mark at the time, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Because, mm. you know, they had people from all over the company, 
this was the first the first Crockett Cup actually did feature people from all over the country from different promotions. Hmm. They uh, there were guys from Portland, guys from Kansas City, because um, it was co-promoted by Watts and Crockett, so it was full of NWA guys and Mid South guys, and this was cool because '86 Watts had started the UWF and so it was starting in the national expansion. And I remember watching one week that there was there were some shows that were supposed to be on, I think, Baltimore TV. Maybe one of the WBF shows. And we were watching it and all of a sudden the Mid South logo came up. And you know since uh did not have a girlfriend at the time, <laughs> they've been the highlight of my young life. <laughs> Even following the magazines, I was I was a Mid South Mark, and so you know we saw Bill Watts and Jim Ross, and we're like, "Oh my God!" And this, of course, is the days of you know one phone in the house, and I run up and I call my friend Jimmy, and I'm like, "Are you watching this?" And he's like, "What?" It's like Mid South is on our TV, and it's like the biggest deal in the world. Hmm. And I think they had changed the name to the UBF by then, but. I think he still has the North American title, but we were, we were well, we were little kids, but we were marking out like little kids. Hmm. I remember the NWA putting out videos like the WWF did, like like WWF pumped out tons of them, Coliseum videos where you could see, you know, like non-jobber matches. But I don't remember Crockett or the NWA. They would put out pay-per-views, but I don't remember them doing like you know, you know, any kind of Coliseum-style videos. They were, it's funny, because they were very, in hindsight, low rent. Because they would come, they uh, they didn't come with, like, cardboard boxes. They came in clamshells. Yes. Just like, you know, a pic, like a picture on the front and the matches on the back. And then you would take it out, and the label would just be, like, printed off a computer. Yeah. It was like 1986 Crockett Cup. Two hours and ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and obviously it got much better once they got bought by Turner because Turner Home Entertainment put out the DVD, they put out the VHS at that point. Mm-hmm. But I yeah, that was digress um, from. <laughs> what's that? I said, what did we digress from there? Oh, uh, we was talking about uh, coffee videos, how they used to be. Okay. That was all all you had back in the day, but when you. When the when DVDs came about, they were great because you had better picture quality and you could pack three hours onto one disc. And throwing two discs into a set was really just a minimal cost. And I, I just remember when the WWE started acquiring tape libraries like WCW and ECW, you could have like a truly a career spanning DVD. Like Mick Foley had a DVD in 2000 that uh, just had WWE stuff, which was fine. But a few years later, they had I think it was Greatest Hits and Misses. You could have WWE, you could also have ECW, NWCW, and Smoky Mountain, and you used to dream about this stuff when you were a kid, but you didn't think it ever happened. I'm of two minds. I am, I am happy that all of this is now out. Uh, I wish Vince was not in charge of it, mm. only because, you know, history is written by the victor. Yes. And, you know, you watch some of the, you know, watching, you know, there are a couple things in the AWA that, disc that were so laughable, I couldn't believe them. Like, one was Vince saying they didn't raid talent from other territories. And then he said the WF Hall of Fame is not about politics. 
Explain <laughs> why why Bruno isn't in it yet. Well, we'll get to the yeah. AWA in, in a sec, but um, okay. I just remember the uh, I think the Ric Flair collection DVD is when I think you really realized just what they could do because that, that was just so perfect. You could tell like the like diehard fans put that one together. But hopefully, you know, Flair helped. Yeah, I'm sure he <laughs> had some input too. Although I'm sure, you know, Hunter could probably say, this match, at least for the Flair disc, he can go, I want this match, this match, this match, and this match. Mm-hmm. If he's wrestling Ricky Steamboat, we probably want it on this disc. Yeah. But um, as far as the documentaries go, they had some early ones, the one about the New World Order, the one on the, the Hulk Hogan one, which was an hour and completely worthless. But I think the, the rise and fall of ECW was the one right. where you were like, wow, okay, this is really amazing. Not, not Maybe not, you could pick nits, but you could just sit, stop and say, this is fantastic. And they, they've really been on like a, a hot streak ever since. The only problem with the ECW disc is that, and you understand why, but you know, you're watching it, and okay, there's Heyman, and there's, you know, there's Taz, and there's Dreamer, but you're like, shouldn't they be interviewing Shane Douglas? You know, it's like, yeah. You know, where's Shane Douglas? Where's Raven? Where's Todd Gordon? You know, so I guess if you take the WF disc and the other disc, you sort of smoosh them together. Mm. I guess you get sort of a fairly complete history, probably. Mm. All right, now on to the AWA. Uh, were you an AWA fan back in the day? I was, well, like uh, people of my age group, we all came rushing home to watch the AWA in the afternoon on ESPN. Ah. They're, uh, and it's funny now in hindsight, you know, sort of knowing the history and you're watching and you're going, man, there's a lot of old guys on this show. <laughs> and they were. But not even, not even the really old guys. I mean, like, you know, middle-aged Greg Gagne. Oof. Not even, like, super old Vern. But I think... I think the Road Warriors were still... Yeah, the Road Warriors were there, because I remember... I remember watching that famous angle where... The Road Warriors were wrestling... Oh, who was it? They were wrestling Kurt Hennig and somebody else. Mm-hmm. I, it wasn't Scott Hall yet, I don't think. And Larry the Axe was doing commentary. And they did a spot where they threw Hennig into the ropes, and his head got stuck. You know, I guess what you would call the Mick Foley spot now. Mm-hmm. And he's turning all sorts of shades of colors. And the Road Warriors are just continuing to pound on him. And Larry the Axis goes, I can't kick any more of this. And, like, leaves the broadcast booth, and it goes up and starts beating, beating on the water trying to save his kid. Which I think led to... A brief feud where Larry the Axe and Kurt teamed up mm-hmm. to wrestle the Road Warriors. But yeah, I remember watching that show. Uh, I remember seeing the Kurt Henning, Nick Bachman one-hour draw, which was a great, great match. It was as good as Bachwinkle said it was in the DVD. Although I'm sure it's probably fairly slow-paced now because it was an hour draw on TV. Yeah. But uh, there was, there were some good things and bad things about. I remember we may have also gotten an AWA syndicated show because one thing they briefly touched on in the disc was uh, 
the NWA and the AWA actually teamed up. Yes. To try and take on Vince in the Northeast. On these shows called Pro Wrestling USA. Because they would advertise those during the NWA shows that we saw on Baltimore TV and Philly TV. Because they would work... I know there's a famous card they had in the Meadowlands. But I think they would also work, like, the second building. Like, the NWA always ran the Civic Center in Philly because WF had exclusivity with the Spectrum. Baltimore, they ran the same building because there was only one building. But, uh, yeah, so they would have, it was weird because you would go to an NWA show and you'd see, you know, Flair versus Dusty, Ben Knights versus the Rock and Rolls. And then it would be like Sergeant Slaughter versus Larry Zabisco. <laughs> or, or Rick Martell versus, oh, who did he see? I don't, we, we saw a show, I think, in 86. I don't, we may have seen Martell Russell Stan Hansen. I don't remember if they were feuding yet. But, you know, then they had the big show in Comiskey Park. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, I did think it was funny, sort of, sorry to digress about the disc for a second. Of all the people they showed in the AWA, I think I may have mentioned this in, in our email, is that they did not show young, young, young Leon Baby Bull White. No. Who was uh, a very green rookie. I think he had just left the NFL. He had to leave the NFL due to knee problems. He became a wrestler. And he was very green and very pale and not very good. And I remember he got, there's a match, I think on one of the tapes I have, where Stan Hansen just stiffed him all ways to Sunday. And, you know, watching it now, you're like, is this where he learned how to stiff people? <laughs> could be. Was he, was he scarred as a rookie? It said, I been. If this is how I'm going to get it, I'm going to give it out. You know, and then he spent 15 years, you know, cashing receipts on people. Wow. But it was just, it was just you know, it was like, you know, a guy, first of all, it's funny to see him without the mask on. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, you know, generic big white guy with bald and a beard, and you're like, hey, it's Vader. <laughs> That's just like the, uh, it's also the time when you think, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but Leon White was not the first choice to play Vader. Wasn't it the Ultimate Warrior? Yes, it was. And wow. you can imagine Jim Helwig wearing the big Darth Vader helmet. Well, uh, back to the AWA. I, th- I, I never really, I was not an AWA guy, I never really watched it. It seemed like it was. Pre- I mean, there was some stuff on both Vince's side and also Vern and Greg. Where you could tell they were full of shit. But I mean, you know, it, it seemed to tell the story what basically happened. The AWA got raided. They couldn't keep up with the times, and they went out of business real quick. Yeah, now, we, we do need the uh, the Meltzer article to tell you know to get a good feel. A, like, yeah, I believe that he's been teasing, I think, for a couple weeks now. So yeah. I guess now that the awards are done, maybe he can devote, you know, and, and if there's a week when there's no pay-per-view, you know, he can devote this. But it was funny that uh, one of the things I, you know, is watching these documentaries, and it's not really as bad as it has been in the past, but you're watching it, don't you get the feeling that Vern was slipping in and out of working the disc? 
It's like yeah. a couple of the times it made it sound like he was talking about shoot matches. Yes. Like like he would do like the parts of the documentary were were obviously you know not kayfabe, and then he does commentary on a mask with a match of his with Baron von Raschke and talks about it like it's a shoot. And I'm like, what's what's the point? You you, I don't know. Well, yeah, there was something that he's always talking about, like, this was a rough and tough guy, and he knew he had to... No, he didn't, Vern. <laughs> but, you know, I'll cut Vern some slack, because I believe that it's been said that he may, you know, he's, you know, very old and mm. may not have complete faculty control, so... He seemed pretty alert for a lot of the documentary, but... Yeah, but I just remember... I think I've read some stuff where, yeah, he's he was fairly lucid in the documentary, but I think it comes and goes. I think mm. I've heard. That could be. I wish they'd released the Nick Bockwinkle interview as a separate disc, because he was great in that. Just, you know, he, to the telling stories and the in the own, um, in the documentary part. Yeah. What's well, funny to think that, you know how they always say that you, if you have a good worker, but he's not that great on the mic, you give him a great manager to work with. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know, the Midnight, you know, Bob Eaton and Dennis Condry, you know, weren't the greatest interviews, so they put, put them with Cornette. Mm. They don't have to talk. It's like, you have Nick Bockwinkle, you know, presumably one of the greatest interviews of the 70s. And then, you give him Bobby Heaton, it's like, it seems like an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, really. His interviews were great, too, especially with the vocabulary he used. Almost like Bob Backlund in a kind of a less uh, serious manner, I suppose. You gotta show off his Beverly Hills education. Yeah. Did you watch uh, the matches on the uh, ADOA DVD? I watched uh, a couple. I watched... uh, I watched the Midnight Rockers match. Although... that was very good. I think it's, I, but I don't, I don't think that's the famous match. No, that's uh, that's another one where the the rockers got or the midnight rockers got roughed up by. Uh, yeah, I believe Michael and, uh, did a blade job very similar to the one he did on Monday. Yes. Yeah, I thought I think that that um, other match has popped up on some other DVD, but I don't remember where. It's funny, you know, it's funny in hindsight that ESPN put all of these incredibly incredibly juiced matches on, on like, afternoon TV at 4 o'clock. Yeah, it's a little... And at the same time, you know, this is during the same era when, uh... Do you remember when they did the angle with... Uh, when Ron Bass jumped to WF and he cut the guy's head open with the spurs? Yes. And they put they a big the X. X through the screen so you couldn't see the blood? Yep. <laughs> that is, yeah. I guess... <laughs> I guess ESPN didn't really think much of it at the time. I guess well, I'm sure real. it was just... Well, this is during the same time that uh, ESPN used to, in the morning, they used to have a business show on. They did not always show SportsCenter all day in the morning. They, I think SportsCenter started... The show... You know, it was like Nation's Business Today or something like that. And it ran until it ran from like seven to nine. Really? And then I think, and I don't even think they. I think the reruns of Sports Center didn't start until the nineties. Hmm. 
Because remember, we used to get up, and we would be annoyed if we got up too early, and we'd have to watch five minutes of business highlights. <laughs> like, we don't want to, yeah, because, well, this is during the time when uh, ESPN still showed all those bodybuilding shows. Oh, yeah. Like, Flex Appeal with Kiana. <laughs> and that kind of, the things that stick in your mind when you're from when you're 15 and 16. Yep. Oh, boy. Well, on to the Heroes of World Class. Have you seen that one uh, yet? Yes. What did you think of that one as a World Class fan? That was easily as good as uh, it had been. Le- I had been led to believe. Mm. It's still, it's still insanely depressing to watch. Oh yeah, this is not a happy story. But yeah, I remember I had started. Let's see, when we started getting World Class, or when I started watching World Class. The Viard Freebird was already, feud was already over, mm-hmm. and I think they were still around. It may have been during that. We- they, they, they touched on this in the documentary. There's a weird period where the Freebirds were sort of faces mm. when they were feuding with Devastation Incorporated. It's almost like they were faces as long as they didn't wrestle with Von Erichs. They wrestled with Von Erichs; they were still heels, <laughs> but it gets everybody else. They were faces, and I remember that was during that was right during the uh, the height of the the, uh, the dynamic duo feud with uh, Chris Adams and Gino Hernandez. Mm-hmm. They were uh, Von Eric was or uh, Chris Adams was like the number two babyface. He was the highest babyface that wasn't a Von Eric. He had supplanted Iceman Parsons. And so, you know, the girls went crazy for him and all this stuff, and he usually teamed with Kevin. And then, I guess, they and they showed in the world-class documentary, they showed clips, I guess, from his RF shoot. And he said, I guess he just grown tired of being a face. And he said, I want to turn heel. And so, you know, they stuck him with Gary Hart. And it was funny, for a while, he was a face, even though he was managed by a heel. <laughs> He was his, he was he was his, he was his business manager. He just said, you know, I want somebody to look out for my business. Then eventually, you know, like Kevin and Eric said, you know, you got to choose between him or us. And they, you know, so he chose being a heel. And then they teamed him with Gino. I guess they brought Gino in from San Antonio, and they were, they were just a great, great dick heel team. Mm. You know, and then they did, and you know, they started doing the. Uh, they did powder for a while. They did, they did the classic thing where, if I remember right, they were either tag team champions for like that entire run, or they had the two singles belts. They didn't have the tag belts. And they showed a clip of this in the documentary. There was a great angle. They were wrestling one of the Texas Stadium shows, and if I remember right, there was like a battle royal or something, and whoever won got like a new Corvette or a new Trans Am or. <laughs> one of those 1985 cars. Sure. And so one of the Vinyarks won. And Gino and Chris come streaming out of the heel dressing room with a chain. And, like, one of the refs stops one of them. The other one runs around them. He just goes up and he smashes in the windshield of the car. And I remember that was such a great angle. And then, cause you didn't, well, see, so you have to kind of think, you didn't see it every, you didn't see angles like that every week. No. So they were cool, and then they started doing. Then they did the hair versus hair gimmick, 
and they lost. And they can't. They were wrestling for about two weeks. Maybe maybe a little longer. They were. They came out wearing lucha masks. <laughs> and then, and then they, you know, and I think they pulled the split too fast. And then they, they, they didn't. Oddly enough, they didn't show this angle on the disc, which was sort of surprising. Hmm. But uh, Gino. They did a blinding angle where Gino blinded Chris. That's right. And then, you did, know... Did Gino but, die, like, right after that? Yeah, that was the thing. I mean, it may have been like a week. It may have been like that same week or, or very, very soon after. So angle. So Adams was going to do the angle where you know, he set out for like a month and came back and he'd be a face and Chris and Gino would feud. And then, boom, dead Gino. Oops. Whether it was a legit overdose or foul play, as uh, one of the guys in the DVD hinted at. Which I is think funny. it was Gary Hart. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was Gary Hart or David Manning, one of those guys. But it was just, you know, sort of weird because I remember they showed the clip of the world class TV show from that week, and I remember watching that because you know they're in a black, you know, they're in a somber studio, and Bill Mercer sitting there. We were going to show you blah 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 blah, but tragedy. You may say tragedy once again. I don't know, but you know, Gene Hernandez. You know, he's like twenty nine or something like that. And then they showed, and then they showed a bunch of Gino matches. If remember, they may have even shown the hair match. Hmm. But I remember watching it. It was cool. But there was also they also they also had like a best of world class TV show at the same time, where they showed old matches. Well, it was really weird because they, I remember they showed the clip of this on the World Class Disc too, where uh, it was when Scanner Ikebar burned Iceman Parsons, <laughs> and it was it was just funny to see it was it was like Carrie and Iceman and Chris Adams versus like the Missing Link, you know, and the Super Destroyers, you know, who were the Irwin brothers, mm-hmm. and then you're like, it's another time you're watching this match and. You always can't help but do this when you watch world-class TV, and you go, four of the six people in this match are dead. You know, I know yeah. there's, like, there's that, I guess one of the rumbles. I remember Carl Stern wrote about this last year sometime. It's like the 92 or 93 rumble where, like, at least a third of the people in the match are dead now. Yeah, I think that was the 91 rumble. Okay. Because I know that WrestleMania, there was that the WrestleMania Seven. There was just a, there were like, uh, I just remember just a huge amount of dead people. Like, oh, okay, both these guys are dead. This guy's dead. And I guess yeah, because little... it would be like um, you see like Big Boss Man against Mr. Perfect with Andre the Giant. It's like okay, all three guys are dead. You see Dino Bravo against Kerry Von Erich. Well, they're both dead, and it's like, geez. I guess that total now probably increases too. Yeah. 91 was the LT LT WrestleMania, wasn't it? No, it wasn't until 95. Okay. Wow. See, when you're not a fan of a particular group, everything (laughs) blurs together. Yeah. Uh, How do you think the... I know the WWE is producing their own world-class DVD. How do you think that's going to come out? Because that'll have the benefit of having Ric Flair and Michael Hayes I think I think the key to that was is Michael Hayes, and I wouldn't be surprised if 
They'll pro- I imagine Kevin will be interviewed on it because I've heard that part of the agreement to sell the library was that they would do a world-class slash Von Erich DVD. And if that's true and that was part of the deal, then I can't imagine Kevin wouldn't be part of it. Yeah. So if you have Kevin and you have Michael Hayes, you know, I imagine a lot of those guys would probably agree to do it. I can't imagine why they wouldn't. You know, you can get Gary Hart. You can get, well, probably not Cornette, but maybe. Maybe. A couple of, you know, so I would do Probably not. Yeah. That is one that, yeah, it is annoying watching that world-class DVD and realizing, you know, there's no Michael Hayes. Yeah. There's no Jimmy Garvin. But yeah, and, and I wish they just had matches on it, too. I, it's sort of funny yeah. that they show clips, but there's no matches. I almost wonder if... Because of when this came out, I wonder if Kevin was already negotiating and saying, yeah, we can put out this... You know, we may, we worked on this movie for four years. So we're not going to stop you from putting it out, and we're going to use footage, but we don't want you to... You know, because there, there was... There's been a Von Erich DVD before the documentary. Mm. But I remember the weird thing about that is, like, Kevin does commentary, I think, on it, and everything's sort of treated as a shoot. Because <laughs> okay. there, there is nothing weirder than watching people discuss matches or in the documentary where they pretended to shoot. And it's like, yeah. you know... We knew one of us was going to eventually be world champion, but we weren't sure which one of us was going to be able to beat Ric Flair in the ring first. Yeah. You mean, who would they decide when Fritz gave the NWA this much money to buy the title for two weeks, which brother was it going to be? Mm. Uh, you haven't seen the Piper DVD, have you? Which uh, The aforementioned one. No, I've never been the world's biggest Piper fan, so mm. that really... No I'm curious to see it, but it, it has that problem where, uh, as far as the matches goes, it has all those WrestleMania matches, but I already have those on DVD because I have the anthology. I also have the the dog collar match from Starcage because that's on, I think, the greatest stars of the 80s. There's a Hogan match that's on the Hulk rule set. It, it, you get into this problem where you, you overlap with all these DVDs, but if someone wants a, a Piper DVD, these are the matches they're going to want to see. The thing, well, the only thing with Piper is, I would say, I would obviously, you know, if they have footage of Piper from Portland, I'd be curious to see that. You know, I would, you know, I read lots of stuff about when he was in Georgia. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see that. And, you know, yeah, I've seen the dog collar match, but you know, there's just stuff I've only read about. I assume that they should put on there, you know, when. Paper famously turned to face and saved Gordon Soli from Don Morocco. Mm. You know, I've read it. That's one of the things I've only read about. I'd yeah. like to actually see it happen. I don't think that's on there, but I'm not sure. And, uh... Um... Yeah, you know, there with Piper, you wonder, you know, okay, if this documentary is an hour and a half long, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, how much of his pre-WF stuff are they really going to devote to? When he's got so much stuff from, you know, 1983 onwards. Yeah. I think they just had some token stuff from Georgia and maybe, maybe in Portland, 
probably wasn't L.A., but yeah, just some very token early stuff, because I think that other people that see this probably just want to see the WWF stuff from back Wait, then. See, that's, that's, you know, like you said, it's great that they have all this history, but, you know, they're going to select what they want to use, and mm. it's like, that's why I'm, I'm very happy that Bill Watson's ex-wife has not sold the Mid-South Library to Vince yet, Yes, he can make some great discs, and yes, I guess with Jim Ross nominally still on the payroll, that you know the right stuff would make its way to discs. But you know, it's one of the things where I'm glad. I'm glad there's at least one thing that he hasn't bought yet, and I'm glad it's the thing that I like the best. Mm. Just sort of because it's you know, you know, I've liked all of these discs, but my first thought after I watch it is. Hey, where was this? Hey, where was this? Yeah. Like, uh, like the Dusty DVD, you know, mm-hmm. which I thought was, was fine. My first thought, and my first thought is, where's all the Kevin Sullivan stuff? Not only because, you know, I was a big mark for the Kevin Sullivan devil worshipping stuff from Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's, a, there's a bunch of, you know, there's some NWA stuff where I'm like, well, where's this? But, you know, I'm not necessarily... I am Vince's target audience, and I'm also not Vince's target audience. Yeah. It, it, it's like the, the, the Pillman DVD, which I know you haven't seen, but it's, I mean, I, I just thought it was weird that, that he got a DVD, not that he wasn't a great talent or an interesting story, but he passed away right before the, the boom period, so only, like, real diehard people from the 90s would remember him. I would not remember him, but really be interested enough to buy a DVD of him. That's one of those things where also you can look at it and you wonder about it politically. Mm. You think, did you know? Did Austin say, let's make a DVD about Brian and give some of the money to Melanie and the kids? Mm. You know, did Brett? You know, if you think about it, two of Tillman's, you know, best friends, if you want to call it that, you know, were Brett and Austin. Mm-hmm. So it's like one of those, you know. Vince is going to need again, Vince, and then one, when it came out, you know, Brett may have, I mean, this is all a supposition, yeah. but, you know, Brett may have said, okay, we'll put this together, and here are sort of my conditions, and then one of them is, you know, it would be nice if we could do something with Brian, other than just put, you know, the Heart Foundation stuff on my disc. Hmm. That's a good yeah, theory as I can think I, of. Yeah, but, uh, well, that was, that was one anecdote that I did that I left out of my long and boring biography was going to the going to the 2000 Pillman show and getting well one sitting behind Dave in the bleachers, which was cool. Hmm. Like I sat behind Dave and next to Mike Johnson, so I was like in like internet nerd row. <laughs> but, uh, which you know that I was supposed to go to the show the year before and I got sick and couldn't go. And then I went the year after, and the year that. The 2000 year was the first year that they had the uh, Brian Hildebrandt fantasy camp the day before, mm-hmm. which they let. I know Rick and I were there, and maybe some, some other sheet writer, net writer there. But yeah, so, but, uh, you know, all the radicals were there, and Douglas was there. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was cool to actually just sort of stand, you know, get to talk to those guys. I remember I talked, eerily enough, I remember talking to Eddie about Art Barr. Mm hmm. In, in hindsight, is now kind of weird. 
Yeah. The other thing was the other thing was realizing that I was bigger than all four of them. And you know, I'm like six feet tall. Yeah. But you know, it's like I remember looking down to talk to Eddie, and we were sort of looking down to talk to Benoit. So it was like, like wow, these guys are so great, and they're so like they're so great. They're so small, but they don't look small when you see them on TV. Mm. And then, of course, the next day we got to see Benoit Regal, you know, which was so great. I'm glad that finally ended up on a DVD because that's true. You know, there were all those horrible, there were horrible rights issues, and I know there was a bootleg floating around for a while. But mm. it was like, you know, even if it's for charity, you're not going to get. Vince and WCW and ECW to all agree to put out a DVD or even a VHS at that point. But yeah, that still may be like the best match I've ever seen in person. That would be hard to top, I think. I know we got to see Christmas like 1991 or 1992. We saw an NWA show in Baltimore where they had brought in Jushin Liger to work for work with Pillman for a week. This was this was before before that Super Brawl where they wrestled. Yes, was that at the Omni in '91 uh, Christmas Day? No, it was that week. It was that week. Okay. Yeah, they wrestled around the Horn. Oh, all right. And we got to see them in Baltimore. Oh wow. Yeah, so yeah, so the fact that I've got that I got to see, you know, nineteen ninety one Jushin Liger wrestle. Damn. Is very cool. Well, you've seen Kobashi. I personally no I haven't. Oh you did I thought you went to Joe Kobashi. Nope, I was not there, sadly. Oh. I know I remember you talking about it. One of maybe I'm I don't know. But uh yeah, it was funny because I was supposed to go. To, I was actually supposed to go to Japan once. Really? I was. I was going to go on one of those. Uh, I was going to go on one of George Mason's tours. Oh yeah. But uh, but I ended up getting a new job, and I had to move. And so, I would have been a gone when I had to be in my new job in a new city. Mm-hmm. And I could not, and with all the moving expenses and all that stuff, I sort of needed that money that was going to cost to go on the trip. But that was the year, I think that was the year Kobashi was out the whole year with his bad knees. That would have been 2001. Yeah, so I wouldn't have gotten to see Kobashi, so it would have been like, you can see Broken Down Muda. I think that was, I think that was before the miraculous Kenji Muto Resurrection Year. I think that was two thousand one. Okay, it was either two thousand one, two thousand two. I know. I've got I've got the awards issue of the Observer in front of me. I'm sure I can just clear he won wrestler of the year. Yeah. Where are your results, Dave? Two thousand one. Yeah. So I guess. Yeah. So we could have seen Stone Cold Kenji Muto. That would have been nice. Goodbye. But I think I've seen, I think I saw Mood in WCW. Back in the 89, the 90 or so? I want to say, or maybe one of the times that he came over. Oh, okay. Like 92, 93? 
something like that. Oh, all right. But it's like as great as Moodle was. It's like you know, I remember see, I can visit. I can, I can still sort of see the match that Roger had. Mm. You know, sort of still sometimes just because of how great it was. Wow. And it probably was. You know, in hindsight, it probably was not even that great a match. But I remember being a great, great match. Mm-hmm. Well, at a certain level, that's all that matters. All right. Well, I guess we'll uh, we'll wrap this up by we'll go over the list of uh, DVDs coming out in 2007 for the WWE to see what's what looks good. And uh, actually, coming out, I think next Tuesday there's a new ECW DVD coming out. I think it's old ECW and new ECW, which sounds like a big old pass to me. Yeah, I was I sadly came to ECW late. Ah. Uh-huh. Like when I moved back to the East Coast. It was sort of past the peak. Like, Benoit and Guerrero and Malenko had already gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But I remember watching, because we could get Philadelphia TV. But I remember seeing the, Jer- the Jericho match. So probably 96? Yeah, 96, 97, like that. Now, and I only went to the, it's funny, because I've only actually been to the arena once. Hmm. It, it's funny, after ECW died, I've been there a couple times to see indie shows. But uh, I only went to ECW, I only went to the arena as the arena once. And that's because I was definitely afraid of actually sitting in the bleachers. <laughs> having grown up in the Philadelphia sports market, I know what that's like. And from watching the ECW tape, so... Like, that was the, like, one and only time I got, a, I got to sit with Dave up in the crow's nest while they... Do you remember back when they used to do live play-by-play sure. on, on on the website? Yeah, so I used to sit up with Dave and Buck when they did that. Oh. That was, that was the, it was, I know Sid was there. It was hmm. when uh, Taz, and Big, Taz and Douglas had that brawl all around the building. I think maybe that was 2000. Could have been. No, uh, would have to, Taz was gone by 2099 maybe it was 99 maybe okay well it was when it was when i did that article that i was talking about earlier so i guess yeah it was by that all right but yeah that was my that was my one and only trip to the arena oh and like everyone else i said man this is a lot smaller than it looks on tv hmm. but I, I think i think that's what you say whenever you go yeah to see a tv show i know that like the first time i went to pti it was like Wow, this studio is barely bigger than my living room, <laughs> but it sort of looks bigger on TV. Hmm. Anyway, anyway, uh, let's see. I think we have a, a there's a triple disc DX DVD coming out in February, which is just all their new all, stuff. So pretty much everything they've done is which we've just seen is on DVD, which is inexplicable. Say, if you wanted to see it, well, I don't really think that. Uh, Vince is going to put out a disc with VKM on it. Well, no. <laughs> I guess not, but still. Yeah, it's know. like, has anything they've done in this run even worth being on DVD? I mean, they've done some okay stuff, but it hasn't been so great they had to immediately have a triple disc DVD set. Relive know. the joy of the cookout skit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. We have a Royal Rumble anthology set coming out in March, which 
I don't know. That sounds like it could get a little repetitive after a while, like seeing just rumble after rumble. I well, it's like, let's see, I would like to see 1992. Mm-hmm. Which is already on the like player to, disc. Right. And I'd like to see the year Benoit won. Mm. The rest of it, I'm, I can do without. Hmm. Other than just seeing, the one thing it would be worth seeing is, you know when you would have any completely random person for no reason show up in the Rumble? Like Doug Gilbert? Or Tenru? <laughs> yeah, Tenru. <laughs> oh, you know, other than that, I miss you know, that. I... Tenru was, you know, it's funny, because, you know, with all these wacky legends under contract now, you know, you know, here's, you know, like, this year, number 30, hey, it's Repo Man. <laughs> hey, or, hey, it's... Hey, it's Damien Demento. Sure. Uh, April brings us Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen, which could be amazing if uh, if they do it right. Well, that I will certainly... I don't even certainly reserve me one of those. Yeah. But uh, especially you think... I assume, like most people, I want to see the make it good skit be on there. Mm. You, know that, you know what that is, Diane? Yes. Famous Breaking Dusty's hand. That's right. Mm. Among the many, let's see, you would need that. You would need uh, the Andersons uh, scraping up Ricky Morton's face on a dressing room floor. Yep. You would need Barry Wyndham's heel turn. Oh yeah. Uh, you may you may avoid Sid wearing a tuxedo. <laughs> let's just, uh, let's just stick to the original. Let's not get you would Mongo hopefully, or you would hopefully uh, avoid. You would hopefully avoid Steve McMichael. Yeah. And pretend that didn't Let's happen. Not. Or Paul Roma. Let's not have Paul Roma on there. <laughs> Let's just keep it to the uh, mid to late 80s. I'd be fine with that. Yeah. Uh, let's you see. Want, you want to sneak in a Benoit match? Wouldn't complain about that. Yeah, that's fine. But you, what did, uh, off the top of my head, I don't remember this, but does the flare disc have... Flair's return in Greenville on it? I don't know. I don't... It may. Actually, I think it might. Okay. I was going to say, if that's not on the first Flair disc, that yes, should be on. that should be on. Yeah. That would be the one late Horseman memory I would certainly want to see. I'm pretty sure it's on there, but I'll, I would have to check. All right, June, we have great families of wrestling focusing on the Funks, Hearts, and Guerreros, which could be very interesting, uh, depending on how they do this. The only thing that uh, uh, bothers me at the moment is they've interviewed Dory. They have not yet gotten Terry to agree to do it. And one Funk brother is good. Both would be preferential. Yeah, I would agree. That would also be a good time to... Once again, having a have a deal with Antonio Inoki allowing New Japan footage. Yeah. See the funks in Japan. That's true. So uh, that might be uh, wishful thinking on our part. I don't know if that's a priority. Like thinking, it would be with yes, a Benoit uh, DVD. Thinking like a mark, but with these kind of DVDs, it's not a bad thing. Mm. Uh, let's see. August has the ladder match, which I guess is the history of ladder matches. Hopefully they show the... Uh, Brett Sean original ladder match from 92, I think. That would be nice all the way through. That could be fun. If, uh, again, perhaps a little repetitive. I was going to say, I assume that would be extended to 
TLC matches. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it would include those. Probably, well, I think most people are expecting a TLC match with the Hardys and Eminem, although not at the Rumble, but maybe by WrestleMania, I think. Maybe. People were either thinking or hoping for that. Mm. Uh, September has the World Class DVDs we discussed. October has a Rey Mysterio called The Biggest Little Man, which is a horrible title, but uh, they could fill that out quite nicely. I know Rey had a, a single-disc DVD with uh, a documentary and some matches, but they could fill that out rather nicely. Well, if you, would, you would assume it has the Halloween Havoc match on it. Yes. I, they're probably gonna, that, that was, was on the old Rey disc. I'm sure they'll put it on okay. there again. I'm almost I, I, that match is so good, it could be on every disc they put out for Rey Mysterio. That's true. The one thing I would like to see from a kit value is the famous uh, Rey Mysterio versus Ric Flair match from the Panama City Nitro. That's I do remember that. When Flair took the bump in the pool. Yes. Hmm. Let's see. November has a John Cena called My Life, which... Could be okay, I guess, depending on what they do with it. As the saying goes, it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. And uh, then we have Stone Cold Steve Austin's Life and Legacy, which could be phenomenal. Again, depending on how. I guess they could go back to Texas with the the Chris Adams. One of my... When I would would make comp tapes for people, uh, for for non-profit only, for fun, uh, is I would... I love putting those Chris Adams and wife versus Steve Austin and ex-wife. Because those, you know, there was real heat, and you could tell there was real heat in those matches. Mm. Also, one of my favorite favorite Austin spots of all time was, you know the classic um, wrestler is injured, uh, heel is getting ready to beat on him some more, and the valet throws herself on top of her man to protect him? Sure. Well, they did a spot in World Class, or maybe in USWA at that point. But So they did that spot where Adams was beat up in the ring, Austin was climbing to the top rope, Tony Adams threw herself across Chris to protect him, and then Austin went ahead and splashed them both. <laughs> wow. That does my, sound good. It's one of my favorite spots. Yeah, that could be great. Uh, I think Stone Cold's had a lot done, but if they do a true career spanning, that could be phenomenal. I would, you know, I would say there's got to be just Hollywood Blonde stuff that they haven't used yet. Oh, yeah. That would, the only it, thing that would the, make it worthwhile. The only thing on the Pillman DVD was um, it was a, the, the cage match between the Hollywood Blondes and Dos Hombres, which was an, an okay match, but they've had much better ones. I've actually been watching some Hollywood Blonde matches, and you know, it's a pity they didn't throw in the match from Worldwide where they won the tag belts because that match was phenomenal. Or any number of TV matches that you don't, you couldn't probably come across or probably wouldn't have seen in years. Instead, does the uh, does the Pillman disc have the flair for the old segment on it? Uh yes, it does. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yes, yeah. that's so good you can use it again. Yeah, that was that great. Was- Uh, well, I guess that's all we have to talk about, unless you had anything you'd like to discuss. Uh, I would just like to uh, send a shout-out south of the border 
to Mystico for winning the uh, Wrestler of the Year in the Observer. That's true. First, uh, first Luchador, Mexican wrestler. And I think I think the smallest wrestler to ever win it. Yes. Good for him. The, uh, these days, uh, I'm very disenchanted with the American product. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mainly watch Lucha these days, and then uh, some Japanese stuff and some ROH occasionally. Sure. So I so I am a big Lucha fan. So I'm a big you know I'm not you know, I like Mystico, but uh, I'm a big Dr. Wagner and uh, GDA GDI fan. Mm. So so I am my my ballot was very Lucha heavy. So I am very. I was happy when uh, Atlantis and Viana won match of the year mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, which is the first time a Luchador match won. That's right. I'm very happy that you know Mystico may not be the best Luchador, but as sort of a symbol of Lucha in Toto, I am happy for his win. Very good. All right. Well, I want to thank you for being on. I had a lot of fun. Uh, we will definitely get you on again in the future to discuss other things or your wrestling fandom or uh, anything else? Uh, well, you know. we, I'll just say, to, to plant a seed for a future show or part of a future show, I did have my notes ready on the, the famous wrestling and comic books topic. Oh, that would be a show in and of itself, I'm sure. Which, uh, like I, uh, as, as I mentioned to you uh, in the back and forth leading up to doing the show, there are lots of people who work in comics who love wrestling. Mm-hmm. There are lots of people in wrestling who love comics. Hmm. So the two are just made for each other. Well, that sounds like a good idea for a future show. We'll uh, we'll get that planned out in the future. I don't know if you have anything you want to plug, uh, your magazine or, or anything you're working on right now. Uh, I would just plug uh, a couple websites. Uh, the magazine website, which is uh, right now only a pointer, mm-hmm. but uh, it is odessasteps.com. That would be Odessa Steps Magazine, named after the scene in Battleship Potemkin, mm-hmm. showing what a true nerd I am. Uh, now we've also just started, and it just went up a couple of days ago, uh, the Year 1905 blog, which again is in reference to Battleship Potemkin. Mm-hmm. That is the year 1905.blogspot.com. That's basically going to be a warehouse for stuff that we write in between issues of the magazine. That's uh, wrestling, comics, pop culture, sports, everything under the sun. Okay. Well, I uh, thank everyone for listening. I encourage everyone to visit joeversusworld.com or thecubsfan.com for archives of all all previous 37 shows, uh, all arranged by subject. You'll find something you like. I will be back, uh, I believe, next Wednesday with the Wrestle Society X review show. Wednesday or Thursday, I'm not sure. It'll be whenever... We get around to it. But next week we will have that show. Um, I guess that's all I have. Mark, do you have any final words? That's it. Thank you, Joe, for having me on the program. Hey, no problem. I thank everyone for listening, and I will talk to you soon.